Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast provides updates based on the expertise and insights from the attorneys at the Washington, D.C.-based law firm, Fortney Scott, and their guests. This podcast will provide an analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand and is for informational purposes only and does not provide legal advice. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Thanks, everyone. David Fortney with another great edition of DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. Today, we have a really special, special guest. That's Johnny Taylor from Sherm. Hey, Johnny. Hey, how are you, my man? Great I'm to see good. You. Very good to see you, too. And thank you so much. For those that have perhaps been living under a rock or don't know who Johnny is, let me just, by way of very brief introduction, Johnny is the president and chief executive officer of SHRM, which of course is the Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM. And previously, I mean, there's a lot of previouslys that go with Johnny. I just want to point out, because I think it so ties on to what we're going to talk a little bit about today, you also headed up the Thurgood Marshall Fund, which dealt with the HBCUs. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of great working knowledge. So Johnny, welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad to have you, my friend. Well, I'm honored to be here, and I hope I share something that I've learned that's useful to your listening audience. Well, I'm sure you will. Well, let's start with, I think I kind of like the torn from the headline concept. I know you and I have both been talking to a lot of corporate leaders on the current assault that DE and I is under, DEI, we'll just shorten it down. From your perch, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from your members, and what is happening Following those Supreme Court decision in the Harvard-UNC case, that's just barely two months ago. And for a case that had nothing to do with employment, a lot has happened. Give me your sense as to what's going on. Well, let me start. I'm going to take a little bit of a contrarian view. Okay. No surprise. I don't know that I would call it an assault on DE&I. Frankly, I think there's a little hyperbole. I think the DE&I industry, a cottage industry that really sprouted three years ago with the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, I think what happened is that we saw a lot of activity, some of it, all of it, I believe, well-intentioned, and some of it worked and a significant amount of it didn't work. And you've heard me, Dave, talk about this idea that ultimately, We want diversity without division. And I think what's happening three years later is that we're revisiting it. It's not that it's an assault. Just because you question something does not qualify as an assault. And that's what's being done. And you're talking about torn from the headlines. Everything is, you know, this company has eliminated their DEI officer, and that means they're no longer committed to it, and blah, 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 blah. And they're questioning whether or not affinity groups and employee resource groups work, and that's an assault. Like, I just think that's a really unfair characterization of it. Yes, there are people who absolutely are attacking DEI, but that's not recent. They just fundamentally don't agree with the concept. While I don't share that viewpoint with them, what I will say is if everything should be prepared, we're both lawyers, so everything should withstand the test of scrutiny. And that's what's happening right now. Even some very well-intentioned people, I was surprised to read an article in The Atlantic a couple of weeks ago that basically, you know, The Atlantic is a more progressive, leans a little bit more left piece of media. 
And even they questioned some of the diversity tactics and the return on the investment. So I don't know. I think that's what's happening is we're now revisiting three years in. What have we learned? What worked? What didn't work? That is not an attack to me. Let me pick up on that. What worked and what didn't work? Because I hear from clients and many of whom are on the receiving end of the more recent challenges. They're painted or labeled as woke corporations. They're responding to this. And what I so often hear from them is, well, we can't back off because we haven't moved the needle. So we have to keep doing what we're doing. And sometimes I wonder, well, if you haven't moved the needle, why do you continue to insist on doing what you were doing? But I don't know. What's your reaction? What do you hear in response to that? Because I'm I'm sure you hear this move the needle comment all the time. And I laugh. You talk about definition of lunacy or whatever it is to do the same thing and expect a different result. I'm with you. There are times, no matter what the business initiative is, and by the way, I think diversity, equity, inclusion is a business imperative and a business initiative, but no matter what the business initiative is, whether it's a new marketing campaign or a new technology implementation, we all step back and say, did it move the needle? And that's not an attack on that. It's just a question. And if it didn't, then we should reevaluate our approach. That's what I take from it is I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily to review it. And if it didn't move, to reassess how you're going to move forward. That's what I see it as. And do you think this is the time that people should be doing that? I'll call it reassessment, reevaluation, reimagining what DEI might look like. And if so, what should they be doing? So, yes, here we are three years later. So George Floyd was murdered June 2020, right? We are now a full three years later. And like most of the initiatives that I've launched in corporate America, as well as in nonprofit America, the first year you start. The second year, you really, really get the legs. You give it time to see if it's working. In the third year, it's about the time, June of 2023, when you say, now let's look back. Let's take a look back and reflect on the challenges, the opportunities, the successes, the not so successful components. So this is exactly the time that businesses should be sitting down and reviewing these. And what are some of the things I would start to question if I were them? A, we saw a flurry of activity in 2020, shortly after George Floyd's murder, where you know we created offices or chief diversity officer roles. I right. mean, it was like head spinning. Every well, it was like dandelions. I mean, yeah. everyone oh, had a CDO. Wow. And, and didn't most of them report directly to the CEO? Yes. Without being tethered to other components, legal, HR, et cetera. You no, know, that's part of right the challenge. And those who didn't, if you dared to have it report to HR or to a chief legal officer or to whatever, you were deemed not serious, right? So absolutely. That was the question, one of the questions. Affinity groups or what they call ERGs, employee resource groups. It's right. we have to question that and say, did it work? I have my own opinion about these things, but that doesn't matter. It's the right question is ultimately, do we bring people together? Are employees more unified behind this or were they divided on account of it? So that's the secondary. A third question, an area that we have to look at is 
there were a number of companies that pushed out and said, I am only going to hire X percentage of people going forward, or not only, a third of my new employees will be women, and a third will be Black, and a half will be Hispanic. And so they roll these things out. So there's a question around, did those recruitment initiatives work? Diversity. More importantly, because any of us could do that, are those employees still there? So did you retain them? Was the environment inclusive such that one would stay? And so that's so it's recruitment, it's employee, I'll call employee resource groups, ERG now, it's the CDO title altogether. And the big one is tying compensation to diversity initiatives. If just those four things alone will give us, there's a lot of work in that, a lot of work to analyze, but those four things alone, David, are what's happening right now. And I think appropriately so, questioning them. So is this a period where we anticipate, I'll call it further experimentation or changes in how DEI, because I hear from most organizations, no one wants to back off. It's not a question of whether, but how. Is that fair? I mean, that's, I, that's how I see it. You're spot on. That's, I hear that from HR practitioners. You and I had the good fortune of speaking with a group of CEOs, Chatham House, right. one of the biggest companies on the planet. And no one was saying, I'm eliminating DE&I, or I'm going to slash the budget indiscriminately, you know, 50% less this next year. No, they were just saying, hmm, let's figure out what worked and what didn't work. And I think this is the right time to do it. And here's the deal. If you care about diversity, equity, inclusion, if you care about this body of work, you should want this level of scrutiny because presumably it will make it only better. There's nothing worse for us to be Another three years from now, six years later, with no meaningful progress, worse of a backlash, and more division. So if you actually are committed to this, you should welcome it, as long as it's done constructively and from the right place, with the idea that it can only make us better. That's a great point. Well, let's broaden out. Let's kind of open the aperture a little further beyond just DEI, because as I see DEI, although it is, as we said at the top, torn from the headline, I'm sure your members are dealing with a number of other workplace challenges, and it's a sort of cascades or tears down. What do you see in addition to DEI? Are they related or are these separate silos? How are you seeing the workplace? I feel it's sort of like a churning sea a little bit. You're a pretty good lighthouse keeper. What are you seeing out there? Well, talking about a churning sea, it's tumultuous at a minimum, right? <laughs> okay. That's Stormy. a better characterization of it. Stormy. I call it the new abnormal. Like there's no more normal. There's no nothing. It's just abnormal. A couple of things. And they all still have DE&I implications. And, and I tell you why. No matter what the topic, America is more diverse. It's as diverse as it's ever been. And with that, you kind of can't separate diversity, equity, inclusion from the headlines of the day in any other part of the human capital space. So, for example, Everyone right now is talking return to work or return to the office or whatever the characterization is. And and that's right, because fall, people, you know, are taking their kids back to school. And so the expectation is three years later, that magic three again, it's time (laughs) to revisit. Should we reconsider the way we used to work during the pandemic and how we're going to work now? What did we learn? Productivity, et cetera, morale, culture. Okay, so here we are. And then guess what the headlines are? The first sets of articles were from Black women, citing Black women as saying, I don't want to return to the office because I'm going to be exposed to microaggressions. I'd rather stay at home. And thus it became a DEI conversation 
then come back into the office. So I'm not going to really focus in on that argument or that line of media stories. What I will say is there's significant tension right now in the workplace between management and employees over returning to work. Now, significant does not mean the majority. What we know is that the majority of employees are actually okay with coming back to the office. They may want to do it three days a week or four days a week, as opposed to the old five, Monday to Friday, nine to five. But at the end of the day, people actually like interacting with their colleagues. And they know that there's a lot of loneliness, depression, a whole bunch of things happen when you're sitting at home by yourself all day, not interacting with other adults. And we learned that years ago before the pandemic with women who left on pregnancy leave and then to raise their children, that they wanted meaningful interaction with other adults. But that's a big topic right now. And it's pitting employees against their employers and management. And it's all over the place. And one component of that is the DE&I conversation that I mentioned earlier. The reality is we know that it's good for the company to have people together for some period of time. Again, whether it's three days, this new hybrid, which is new, but it's become the trend now, three days in the office, two days remote, four, one, whatever. That's become the trend. What we also know, and this is just the quick DE&I part of that, is at the end of the day, our research, Sherm, has research on this. And overwhelmingly, managers say, I actually forget my employees who are working remotely. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind, right? It's just the way it works, right? I think it's human nature. It's human nature. It's not some effort to punish you because you're working remote. It's just like, I see you sitting here as an associate in my firm and there's another person working remotely and I got a quick research assignment. It might be a plum assignment. And hey, Johnny, can you go do that? It's just what I do. There's water cooler conversations. There's coffee conversations. There's always, that is impossible to recreate for someone who's not with you. And especially when some employees are remote and some aren't, you're going to be disadvantaged. And so I say this to, Whatever the group is, particularly in the case of the Black women who complain about it or in Black men or anyone, I'm a Black man, so I can talk about this, is that the long-term implications of this for your career are not good. You know, Mm -hmm. if indeed out of sight, out of mind is right, then you're going to have a hard time complaining about not moving up the corporate ladder if you weren't there because you weren't building relationships and networking. You didn't get visibility. You didn't get the plum assignments. So that's number one. The second big topic is everyone's talking about is AI. If you're not, you want to talk about head in the sand, you are in it, right? (laughs) It is it. And it's mostly because human beings find two things at their core to be existential threats to them. One is a threat to their lives and one is a threat to their livelihoods. So if you think about the lives, COVID was a threat to their lives and it's why it panicked us globally. Livelihoods, AI is that. There's not a headline I just saw the other day. Goldman Sachs, one of the big shops, said 300 million jobs will be lost to AI. Well, you know what that does. It creates a lot of anxiety. Panic. Panic Panic is right. Not just anxiety. No, panic. panic. I agree. And as I'll just say this real quickly, it's also in the past, automation, the earliest forms of AI was targeted at blue collar employees. Right. Make them more efficient. Instead of 10 people at the McDonald's, I now need seven working because you can place your order on a machine or order in in advance. Or the robots in the manufacturing process. That's right. So that was the blue collar worker. Right. AI is tackling people like us. 
yep. white collar, the professionals. Uh, you go to law school, you know, 19 years of formal education or so, right? 12 plus law school, six says 18 years of law school. And then all of a sudden you have chat GPT that can write the first draft of a brief better than most first year law associates. That's deep. That is a threat. So those things, AI, as well as return to the office are the two hot topics right now. And with respect to AI, much of the debate, again, DE&I, is whether or not the machines are learning the bias of the people who wrote the programs Correct. at the beginning. And so that's what you're hearing. So if you ask me two things, those are the two. Those are the two things. And actually, I think that they merge together because in my view, we are on the cusp of reimagining. We're roughly a quarter into this current century. We're yes. reimagining what is work, how work is done, where it's done, what we as workers are doing, and it's going to be dramatically different. It's obvious it's going to be dramatically different, which you're right, there's panic, but there doesn't necessarily need to be if we're smart and can manage this and recognize what skills are required. Not always a college degree, even though I know you've got plenty of training. I've got plenty Wait, of training. Yes. Uh, so, but the glass half full is that there will be different opportunities and we may be able to actually broaden opportunities for our population. That's my hope. But I may be Pollyannish. I don't know. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And for your listeners, I will tell you, I'm reminded a lot of the movie Hidden Figures. I don't know mm. if you saw it, but this story was particularly about three African-American early mathematicians, et cetera, and they helped right. put the U.S. on the moon, right? So the idea was back in the day, these women were, they were actually called computers. They were actually called computers. And they weren't called human computers because there was no such thing as a computer. They were computers because they computed stuff. Right. And then all of a sudden, the introduction of the machine that was a computer that could do it faster, it could work longer, it didn't have to stop at all. And it was a threat to those women. And instead of them scurrying away and saying, let's blow up all of the machines, let's prevent the world from having a big supercomputer from IBM or whatever, they said, we have got to learn the new jobs. And the new jobs are going to be to program said computer, to fix said computer, et cetera. So they reskilled themselves, funny word, right? Mm -hmm. Reskilled back then to be prepared for a post-computer world. And all we've got to do is now get ready for a post-AI world. It's the next iteration on this journey. You know, I love that. I agree with that. And it strikes me that takes us full circle back to DEI. When you talk about reskill, it's the concept of allowing yourself to reimagine and to develop effective DEI programs that hit your metrics, but that do so, and I'll just say from my vantage point, we focus on the legal compliance, and there's a lot of opportunity for improvement there also. I think that's wonderful. I think that all that feels very holistic to me as I think about that. Anyone who says to me, right, this is an attack on DEI, we shouldn't have DEI, I think they've missed the point. I really do mean this, and it's not just a talking point, that I'm excited about us now spending this opportunity to, in some instances, pause and reflect on, hmm, what did we learn over the last three years? What could we do better? How can we actually benefit? I've said this, and you've heard me, David, say this a lot. Unequivocally, our diversity is our strength, period. As a nation, and increasingly globally, I know our diversity is our strength. 
What we've got to do is ensure that we get the best return on that diversity. And if people are at each other's necks, you know, if we've assembled a room full of diverse people and all they do is either cordon off into different corners and we have segregation within a diverse workforce or they start battling each other and there's acrimony and tension, then we're not going to get the most out of diversity. And that's what we should be shooting for. So I'm excited about it personally. It's going to be uncomfortable. What I want us to do is not vilify anyone who questions the value of it and how we do it. That's not a good thing for us. I think that's a good poll star as we sort of march through this next period. Well, Johnny, you and I could literally spend eight hours talking about this. <laughs> I want to tell you, I think that you're, you've got 325,000 members, plus you're in about, what, 165 countries. Erm is darn lucky to have you with your energy and expertise leading them. So, And I so appreciate you taking some time to share with our listeners. You got lots of good stuff, my man, and I really, really appreciate it. Well, I'm honored that you have me here committed to this work. And uh, thank you for using your platform to educate. You could just like me be formally just focused on the law side of it. But it's really cool that you've really talked more broadly about this because there are legal implications, but also in practice, how does this affect people's lives and their livelihoods? I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Johnny. And for those that haven't yet subscribed, you get to hear guests just like Johnny Taylor we had today. Hit that subscribe button and join us all the time. Johnny, thanks so much. I'll be part of your journey, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update. The podcast that provides analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand. You can subscribe to the DC Insider Employer Update podcast wherever you get your podcasts, which includes Apple, Spotify, and Google. Additional information about our podcast is located on the Fortney Scott website at fortneyscott.com. Thanks again for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update.